Hey guys, your favourite podcast is just seconds away, but what if you could listen to it without worrying about using data? Got an offer for you right now. Uh, if you go to ilovedata.com.au, you're going to get 50 gigs of data for only $59.95 a month. There's no contracts, there's no catches. It's ilovedata.com.au. Open that up on your browser now and let's get into the podcast. Okay, there we go. What are you waiting for? Do it! Triple M. Hello, it's Ugly Phil here. I've always been a fan of Sting and the police. In fact, he was one of my idols and still is. So you can imagine how excited I got when we had a chance to speak to Sting here in the rubber room at Triple M. Hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. Giant words are what he says in the rubber room. So what will Sting confess? Hello, Sting. How are you? I'm good. I can cross this one off my bucket list because <laughs> I've been a huge fan since I was about 16. We finally got to that chat. You're showing our age. Happy birthday for Sunday too, Thank you. This latest album, 57th and 9th, is a return to a rock sound that you haven't done for a while. Why did you decide to go back that way? You know, for me, the most important element in music is surprise. When I listen to music, I want to be surprised. When I compose music, I want to surprise people and also when I choose the music I'm going to do next surprise is one of the most important things so uh, I think people are surprised by this you mentioned uh, that it's happened spontaneously that the actual recording process came together within a couple of weeks or something well I, I didn't have anything written I had nothing prepared I just went in there with my musicians and I said let's play musical ping pong and see where it takes us and uh, I also said I want to do it very quickly I want to do it within three months normally I have a very open-ended schedule it could just it'll take as long as it takes but having that pressure was a factor and I think it gave the album a kind of immediacy and urgency if you like. And you actually wrote songs while you were in the studio as well? I'd write the songs on the way home, walking home. I'd have the music in my head and I'd I think of the stories as I was walking. And how about the players when you came in and were they able to take the direction and the ideas that you had? Well, I mean, it? Dominic Miller has worked with me for almost 30 years and Vinnie Colaiuto on drums the same. You know, so They know what I like and we, you know, we, we play this sort of ping pong game. with you know. So that process can actually work? It can. I mean, there's, there's no one way of making a record. Sometimes yeah. you, you prepare and prepare and prepare and then sometimes you don't. With the song 50,000, which was inspired with the passing of Prince, I believe. Not only Prince, I mean, we lost David Bowie in the same period. We, yeah. we lost Glenn Fry from the Eagles, uh, Lemmy from Motorhead, and my dear friend Alan Rickman, who's not a rock star, obviously, but a cultural icon. Yeah, of course. All died within the same uh, very short period. And we, you know, we're, all of us were shocked because there's a child in us that imagines these people are somehow immortal. And uh, when they die, it's surprising and shocking and, and terribly sad. So I, I wrote a response to that feeling. From where you were at this particular stage in your life? I was 65 on, um, on Sunday. So, you know, I would imagine I've lived most of my life already. <laughs> it kind of enriches life when you accept that there's an end to it. And you mentioned without hubris, you know, this was your <laughs> sort of stance on where you felt you were in life at the moment. What would you want your legacy to be most remembered by? Would it be music, politics, acting? The only thing I'm interested in is my kids respecting right. me right. Okay. and my wife still loving me. Everything else doesn't matter. So if there was something, though, if people went sting, you know, obviously they won't go flying underpants because... You know, <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
It, that may well be what I remembered for, you know. I've got no control over it, and I don't care that much. I spoke to Henry uh, Pandavani, uh, Henri, who came in not that long ago, right. and we were talking about the early days of the police, and he was telling me, I mean, some of it sounded quite, you know, sordid. Not, not sordid in the, really? in the sleazy way, but it sounded very desperate back in the very early days of sleeping on couches and things like that. You know, I'm really glad of those times, in that we weren't vaulted into superstardom immediately. We had years of struggle and obscurity, and that made success that much more sweeter, give me more perspective on what it was and how fortunate I actually am. So I didn't become famous until I was 26. So I had a real life before that, which I, I'm very grateful for. I caught up with Henry Pandavani, one of the original members of the police. We talked about how desperate those days, but I guess after the fact it's easy to romanticise the memory. What were your thoughts on the early days of the police? You know, the beginning of any project is always the most exciting thing. It's always the adventure, the first day of the adventure. I remember driving the van one night, it was about three in the morning, down a motorway in England, and uh, Henry was in the front with me. I was driving, I fell asleep. The other two were in the back, and I woke up skidding across a freeway. <laughs> Luckily, I knew how to turn an opposite lock on the steering wheel, so we pulled out of it, but I almost killed the police. They tried to also lump you into the punk sound, but you were miles away from that. They couldn't figure out the genre at all, could they? Well, I think genres are something any musician will want to avoid, I think. It's, it's kind of limiting, and it's, it's just a word anyway. So I, I just think of music, we're musicians, and it's a common language. So the, the genres are something artificial that is imposed upon music, which is really not my job to either defend or, or get involved in. Do you have a particular style that you've enjoyed playing the most? No, I just follow my curiosity. You know, I mean, the great thing about music is it's an ocean that you, there's no end to it. It's completely without a bottom or a, an edge to it. So you just you just swim in this wonderful world of uh, possibilities, and um, I'm happily doing it. <laughs> People were surprised when you did the Bring on the Night period, but I guess I saw it as a lineage between Beds Too Big Without You and uh, Bring on the Night as well. The you know sparsity of those particular tracks. Yeah, they had a jazz element to them anyway. I thought. I've always loved jazz, you know, that spontaneous thing, improvisatory thing. I, I like playing with jazz musicians, even though I'm not a jazz musician myself. We share a common language. When you got together with people like Branford Marsalis and Omar Hakim, who are exceptional musicians as well, was that in any way uh, overwhelming? No, not at all. Right. <laughs> I, felt, I felt extremely comfortable. <laughs> I'm pretty cool as well. Well, you're so. a cool cat too. That's exactly <laughs> it right there. You know? With the orchestral stuff, symphonicity stuff that you did, yeah. was that uh, an interesting collaboration? As well. It was important for me that the, the orchestras work their butts off. A lot of pop stars you know, have arrangements done where, where the, the violin section is just playing whole notes. It's kind of boring. So I wanted them to work really hard. So the arrangements were kind of difficult. And I think the musicians appreciated that. I hear my own work by accident sometimes. You know, I think, well, that's interesting. That's an interesting choice for a 25-year-old me to have made. I'm usually pleasantly surprised when I hear my music. If the song has a good structure, um, it can survive any kind of arrangement. You know, you can play it on a ukulele or spoons and it will still have an integrity to it if it's if it's a good song. You've said that the industry, the record industry, is in a state of chaos and flux. And, I mean, I guess, you know, 30 years ago, we wouldn't expect it to find ourselves where we are now. Is it survivable? And, I mean, how much do you have to adapt? Well, it's changing. And I don't think it's arrived at the perfect model yet. I think streaming is probably a good one. I think musicians need to be paid equitably, though. For young musicians struggling to make a living, it's tough. And do you think with everything being 
cyclic as well that we will have another rebellious, anarchic sort of <laughs> punk period. Because you know, and the reason I say that is because it's always you know the best music's politically driven, and lately with the political scene that we have, you know, we are in a state of flux. Yep, it's all political. There's a sort of movement to the right, which uh, I don't really approve of at all. So I think maybe music will rise to uh, balance that out. When will we see you back here playing live? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm here promoting, and then I'll start touring in the states in February, and we'll see how the album's received. And if it's received well, we'll, we'll carry on touring. So I, I'd love to come back to Australia. I always have fun here. Sting, it's a pleasure. I can cross you off my bucket list and go <laughs> merrily off into the day, I guess, now. Okay. I'm glad to be on your bucket list. <laughs> okay. We may find this a bit disturbing. He helped me. Go! Oh! The Rubber Room.